I'm going to take a moment to share some with us um, what God's been doing and kind of where we're headed. Um, before I do that, though, let me introduce myself. I forgot to do that. My name is Dave, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, I, just a heads up, if you've never met me or never heard me preach before, I have a stutter. So just want to make sure that you guys know what that is. It'll kind of come in and out as we go, and um, although we have a lot to cover today, so I don't have time for that, okay? We don't have time for my stutter to get involved, so um, if it happens, just say, like, hurry it up or do something to try to get, no, don't do that. I'll have flashbacks to my childhood, but um, no, it's all right. I'm totally cool with it, but um, um, but where we're headed this morning, again, before, um, we're going to read the scripture in a moment, and I'll have you all stand back up as we read that and we get into the sermon, but before that, I want to do a bit of a State of the church address, if you will, okay? So, yes, like a state of the union, I'll stand here and I'll speak in a very methodical voice and I'll say some things about what we have seen happening and then at the end, just awkwardly, you all stand up at random places and applaud and then sit back down and we'll keep talking and no one will remember anything I said because that's how it usually goes. But, um, no, we're not going to do that because I want us to remember some things, okay? So, First of all, we are growing um, a ton as a church. This happens to be a week where like tons of our people who normally lead our church and are, are sick or are out of town and so we're wondering and yet still we're growing and we see a lot of new faces here and I met some new people here this morning and one of the ways that's shown up most pointedly is in our children's ministry, okay? We, we, when we very first started in 2014, we had 13 kids. Um, half of those are mine, um, not quite, but we, have, we had like 13 kids. And then um, by the next year, you see, we grew. We had 20 kids. And then um, just over this past month, we've, we've been up to 36 on an average. We had 40 kids here last week, and, and, and we're still kind of operating as if we had 13, okay? We still have them, kinda, honestly, we still have the number of volunteers and broken up into kids' classrooms as if we had 13 kids. And then we're predicting just by the way we've continued to grow that um, over the summer we'll likely have about 50 kids. And so what this looks like for us is a number of things that I want to share with you. But one of the things is um, we have a very college-age heavy demographic here, right? And we're thankful for that. We love you guys, even though sometimes I make fun of you and, um, you know, say that you eat all the donuts and drink all the coffee and come late and all that stuff. We love you. We do. We love you. Love you here. I spent 10 years of my life investing in college-age folks. And, um, and so all that to say, though, while we love that we're near the U of A, that we're growing in our U of A demographic, but especially lately in our kind of non- college age group, um, that means a lot of young kids have been coming, okay? That means a lot of young families have been coming. And um, again, okay, I want to give you youngsters some props, though, that our college age actually are a massive amount of our, of our volunteer base, all right? That the younger people, they invest. They don't have kids. They could, you know, sleep in and just come in, you know, with their hair all messed up and do whatever and, and just not, not invest in their community, but that's not what they do. Okay, you guys, thank, uh, we're thankful for you, all right? We're thankful for the call. Yeah, let's, let's thank them. Um, and um, a lot of you, again, you, you really invest and you pour yourselves into our kids and different things. They show up early at 8 o'clock here. They get everything here set up. Well, what happens over the summer? A couple things. One is we notice our numbers typically shrink but counterintuitively, that's when we grow because families come and we get to do a lot of things throughout the summer that we're excited for and we'll be sharing with you in the coming weeks of a lot of the stuff that we have coming up over the summer that we do to, to invest in our community more specifically and more pointedly, but a lot of our volunteers aren't here. And so specifically, we need kids ministry volunteers to, to, to invest during the summer. Okay, so this is what it is. You're not signing your life away. You're not signing up right now to the, you know, I'm going to serve in the children's ministry and then, man, we've got you hooked. You're in for life. That's not what it means, okay? What we're asking you to do, especially if you have kids that are in the kids' ministry, but not only you, okay, anyone, invest. Invest in the kids' ministry over the summer and we're asking you today to go sign up or to indicate on a connect card 
Just write, I'm interested, or I might be interested, and trust me, you will be contacted. And um, we specifically need 15 volunteers to sign up and to say, I'm going to serve and I'm going to help throughout the summer in the children's ministry. And then at the end of the summer, we'll kind of have a little talk and you can decide if you're going to keep on doing it or, or we can decide if you're going to keep on doing it. But um, <laughs> you don't hand out the fishy crackers evenly. So, um, you no, we want you to serve though and, and would ask you to invest in that way. And another way, just as we've grown, actually go back, there's another slide, if you will, this one. I just want to show with you, some of you people might be like me and you don't get graphs and you're like, what is that, you know, hieroglyphics or I don't understand that. Well, what this is, it shows our growth since we first started in 2013 in my house, in my backyard with 19 adults and um, what God has continued to do as a church. And um, the last four Sundays have been our four biggest Sundays ever, that we've been right at or over 200 um, people here as a church over the last four weeks, and it's just been really fun to see our continued growth, and even what we're going to talk about today is how that growth has been in, as a community, as a multi-generational, um, multi-ethnic, diverse community that we long to grow in, and um, again, these numbers kind of reflect that, and you see where we've been, and let me just pause for a moment, okay, we'll talk about this more, but um, what this means for us is as we grow, we need to continue to grow in our volunteer base, in our giving base, in our re re resources, in our talents, in our treasure, in our time. And it means that as God continues to use us to grow and to carry out his good news throughout downtown Tucson and beyond, that, that we need to reflect that. So the, the, the image that we've done is this, okay? Like, if you've ever been around kids and you know, like, an infant is cute and you give it a lot of leeway, right? Like, an infant's supposed to act like an infant. And then even as a toddler, it's supposed to act like a toddler. And just to be blunt, right, like an infant or a toddler poops its pants and nobody's like, what are you doing? Like, that's completely inappropriate and you're not allowed to do that. But like when your 16-year-old does that, you're, you're, you're like, okay, that's not appropriate, right? You need to act like a 16-year-old, and you need to kind of act your age. Well, well, that's very true for us as a church. As we've grown, we need to grow into um, what God has entrusted to us, okay, into the maturity that he's bringing. And so specifically, again, in our volunteering, in our giving, in our time, in our treasure, in our talents, um, we're asking you, if you call Redemption Church home, to invest and to give. As I said, we have been operating on a shoestring budget. Like, not just that's not a metaphor. We have literally had shoestrings. Hold, I have duct tape on my little mic right here. Um, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful for what God has been doing through us. But um, we always want to only operate on a lean budget. We are very intentional that we operate on a lean budget. But that, that can only go so far. Um, just specifically, you guys know Stephen Collins, who leads the worship he's been leading since we started, and Annie Prentice, who leads in our kids' ministry. Well, they and we all raised our own financial support to come out here and to plant the church, and we and have kind of been the three, uh, the church staff making all the decisions, doing all the stuff. And as we've grown, we we can no longer can. Can you depend on outside support to, to keep our, our ministry going? And you guys have been generous. Our giving has continued to grow as well. And I just want to, again, encourage you and thank you and invite you to give, um, again, generously and faithfully and sacrificially. And you can see the action steps there um, very clearly. Today, sign up to volunteer with the kids. And uh, if you call Redemption Church your home church, um, Give, give in response to the, the giving that, that God has given to you. Amen? Okay, we all, all right, there was the State of the Church address. Um, you're welcome. And now, uh, I, let me ask you now to stand. Let's all stand together as we transition into the sermon time and we read God's word. Let me remind us that we stand every week out of awe and reverence for God and his word. Excuse me. The sermon reading for today is from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, 
working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, thank you, Chris. Um, as you can see here today, we have got our work cut out for us, right? We've got a lot of uh, some pretty significant stuff in front of us this morning. I need to put my big boy pants on because um, the last couple of weeks we've had some really heavy stuff to dive into together, but I'm excited because this is some really shaping stuff for who we are as God's people. Um, we're, in the, we're in the sermon series. Again, if you're new or you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, we're walking through the book of Titus. Uh, together, and we love to spend time in books of the Bible, right? We get into, um, we, we, we hunker down, and we'll occasionally take a few weeks here and there to, to address some specific things, but normally we come before God's word, and we humble ourselves, and we say, Lord, speak to us, and sometimes that means stuff that is, that is um, challenging to us, and stuff that maybe doesn't fit naturally into our kind of cultural tendencies in 2016 here today. And so what we do with that is we come and we say, God, we're here before you. Um, we don't pretend that it's easy, but we need you to speak to us. And um, just a heads up on the front end, okay? So um, I'm going to do my best. Again, I'm praying, pray for me that my stutter doesn't get in the way, that I just, that we can hustle through this because there is a ton to cover. And, and, and I want to give some freedom though to not just hurry through this. Okay, so I'm going to be looking at my watch. I'm going to try to, to kind of get after it, but um, I, I'm, it might go a little longer, okay, a little than, um, than normal because um, I, I want to lovingly lead us appropriately through what we're reading here. Because like two weeks ago, um, my assumption is that Sometimes when we dive into subjects like this, um, there's, there's hurt, there's pain, there's confusion. Again, there's cultural um, assumptions that, that shape us and that, and that we need to, to kind of pull the weeds apart and ask for God to lead us through. So we're going to do that together this morning, all right? So what we're going to be walking through in Titus is this. You can see right here, we're going to be walking through um, a, a kind of a, a, a forecast up there as, as we walk through, and it's this. We're going to first hit on older men, and then older women, and then younger women, and then younger men, and then bond servants or, or slaves. And what that is, is this, just a recap of where we've been in Titus, is that we, we're, the whole point of the whole book is that, is that God is shaping his people, his local church, his community, on how we're supposed to function together. Okay, from the very beginning, the point is that in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, it's not up there, but it says, um, it says the, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. And what that means is that what you believe individually and corporately as a people, that that shapes how you live, all right? Belief that translates into living, into action, into how we function. And that, and that what this is, is that, is that all these churches were starting, the uh, Apostle Paul was going all around um, Crete and Greece and um, modern-day Turkey and was starting churches, and then specifically in this case in Crete, the island just um, off of the country of Greece, Paul went around, the Apostle Paul who wrote this book, and he started a bunch of churches. And then he left somebody that he was mentoring, a young man named Titus to kind of make some sense of these churches, to kind of help them understand, maybe like a lot of us today, why is the local church important, right? I'm cool with Jesus, but, you know, church, I'm not really into that kind of thing. You know, organized religion. Well, this book is really written to make some sense of that, of the importance of the local church being established together as God's people who live rightly. The, the word that we're going to see today and has shown up multiple times is soundly. That sound doctrine, that sound teaching, that sound living, and that word means healthy or as it ought to be, okay? And so, so he's, he's writing to Titus. He's saying, hey, um, help my people understand how to live, not just individual spirituality, Christianity, where you kind of give and take and, you know, from everywhere else, but, but how my people are supposed to function together, right? So that's what we're getting into um, together, and we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Um, if you'll go ahead and turn there with me, if you don't have a Bible, I forgot to do this earlier. Some of our folks are standing there like, when's he going to say it? It's right now. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. Um, También si quieres la Biblia en español, solamente levanta su mano y diga español. 
And um, so we want everyone to have a Bible that they can read and understand. So if you don't have a Bible, keep this, okay? This is our gift to you. Um, Put your name in it, underline stuff, ask questions. We want you, we want everyone to have a Bible that is their own, all right? We don't want to assume that everybody has one. And um, again, especially on a week like this, I want you to have a Bible. It'll be up here on the screen, and um, if you held up your hand and, and you want to have one, read it, underline stuff. Look, that this is God's word. This isn't my words, okay? So again, this morning, as every morning, we need to rely on God to speak to us through his word. And that's what we're trusting is happening. So let me pray before we dive into Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Lord, we do need you. Thank you for uh, where you have us right now. Lord, I know that a lot of people are sick. A lot of us are in different places right now. I've just talked to a lot of different people this morning who are kind of looking ahead to final exams that they either have to grade or take or do both for some people, or, or the end of jobs and the end of quarterly cycles and all kinds of um, places, or where, the end of tax season, um, or wherever we are right now, we're, um, where do you want us to be? And we need to hear from you individually. Lord, I don't know where everyone's at. We all need you to lead us appropriately from where we come this morning. And we also need you and want you to shape us together as your people. Just like this book of Titus was written to shape your people to live rightly under and through a relationship with the true and trustworthy God. We pray that that would be true of us. Lord, that's who we want to be. And we trust that you are shaping us to be such. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we only have three chapters in Titus, but we're about to transition into chapter two. So as we like to do, you can turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to chapter two, because we're marching along through the Bible. And um, as we get into Titus chapter two, let's dive in, verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. As for you, just remember last week where we were is um, he, was, he was saying what not to believe, okay? He was saying be weary, be wary, be on guard because there are false teachers out there. Just like in our day, people are going to come at you, they're going to try to tell you this is how to live, this is what to believe. Hey, I've got this new, this new thing, I've got this new way to live, I've got this new idea for how you should live, and sometimes people will even sprinkle in a bit of Christianity or sprinkle in a bit of Jesus, and will say, oh, this is the way to do it. And as we saw last week, the, um, this, the author Paul is telling the young churches like us as they're forming together, be on guard, don't just believe everything that you hear, look out for false false teachers and how do you fight against false teaching and against false leaders as he calls here empty talkers he says raise up right leaders and teach right doctrine sound doctrine and so as he as we transition now we see that he just said this is what not to believe this is how to how to fight against anyone that adds to the gospel of Jesus okay Jesus plus anything equals nothing in a sense, and that's what he said last week, and now he transitions, he says, but as for you, Titus, as you establish and, and pour into these young churches, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. Again, just like in chapter one, you teach the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. You establish yourselves based on the truth of God, not just sprinkle in a little from here, but this is what you're called to do. And so, and so how do we do that, right? We ask, okay, sounds good. I'm, you know, sign me up, now what? What does that look like? Well, that's what verses two through 10 today look like, is what does it look like for the community of God's people to thrive under sound doctrine together? What does it look like for an intergenerational, interracial, intercultural community of people to thrive under sound doctrine. And here's what it is. We get into that. First, he hits on the older man. Okay, there is an er, okay? I'm not saying old man, all right? You, can, you might look around and be like, I don't see any here today. Or who's, who's he talking to? Okay, a lot of us, okay? I'm an older man to many of you. You look at me and you're like, you, Dave, you're the old man. And some of you are like, no, you're a kid. And it depends on where we are, right? And so, so older 
All right, a lot of us in this place, um, as we'll see older men and older women and younger men, really all of us, unless you're like one of the infants over here, you're newborn, that you're older than some and younger than some. We are having to deal with this in our children's ministry, okay? They're like fourth and fifth graders who were like, hey, you guys are the example. You're pouring into these younger kids. And then there's older kids that were like, you need to look up to these kids. We don't have a lot of those older kids yet. We're, we're getting there, but okay, older Right? It's up to you, but most of us, this fits into, in, into who we are. Okay? We all fit into this stuff. But let me say for a minute, again, you might be looking around. If you're an older man, and you're here, and you and your character fall in line with what Paul writes here in verse 2, to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness, I'm really glad you're here, and you're rare. You're really rare. Not just rare here, okay, and we acknowledge that. First of all, invite your friends, okay, bring your friends. They don't even have to be sound and wise and dignified. Just bring them, and then we'll do that part, okay? We'll work on them. We'll, we'll, you know, preach the gospel to them. We'll trust that God will do his work in them, and we'll make them be wise, godly, older men. But honestly, we long for that. I personally, as a younger pastor, we long for older men. The Old Testament speaks of like the elders who sit at the gates and who people go and ask questions of. And there are some of you in here. I'm looking at the handful of you that I I love how you invest in younger men. And when when younger men ask questions, what should I do about this? Whom should I marry? I've been in this relationship. I'm considering uh, changing my major. I'm considering going into this. I'm struggling with how to to lead my kids through this phase. And man, and, and young men, we'll get to you, to us, you, in a moment, um, but you're foolish. You are a fool if you don't think you have something to learn from older men who have gone before you. All right, if we sit here like, we got it, we know cool music, and we know how to hang up, you know, Mumford and Son lights, as someone called them, and, you know, we know how to be, we, know, we don't have anything to learn from the older people. Like, that's ridiculous. We are so wrong. And again, if you're here and you're older, if you're an older man, you're needed. And not just needed to be present, though that's in a lot of ways you're winning, right? You could be out playing golf right now. You could be out doing whatever like a lot of your peers are doing. But, but we need you here. We need you investing in God's people that God's people cannot thrive without you. And in a lot of ways this says, well, how, what does it look like? Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. Steadfastness means unwavering. How, how rare for, for a community of people to have a foundation laid. And I think the order that, that Paul goes in here is important. That he sandwiches older women and younger women thriving with older men and younger men having their stuff together. And specifically older men who lead out of love. Not out of selfish gain, not out of entitlement, not out of passivity, not out of being absent, but who have a love and an unwavering consistency that sets the tone, that lays a foundation for God's people to flourish. Older men, you're needed. You're needed to be here and you're needed to lead out of love. And younger men, again, that we'll get to, it's important, he says, younger men, be self-controlled, be dignified, be sound in your speech. And that God's people can't thrive unless that's happening. And and there's an epidemic in society and in the church today of men in general. And again, because we're on it right here, older men, just not, A, not thinking you're needed, or B, just choosing to be gone. So what would it look like for a community to thrive where older men set the tone and lay the foundation of leading in love and steadfastness? Amen? That's exciting. Okay, a lot of us are here like, yeah, I don't even know what that would look like. Well, let's, let's pray that God would show us. Let's pray that we could be a picture of what that looks like. And then he moves on and he addresses older women. Again, er, okay, you heard it here. Older women, you decide if this is you or not. But he says, this is what it looks like, older women. They likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And then here he, he, he transitions and he gets into younger women because older women's relationship to younger women is really important. 
Okay, there's kind of a, an older women and a younger women, and then it kind, of, it kind of intersects between what it looks like to live as a godly older woman, to thrive and to flourish as God's people in community where older women are living as God has called them to live, and necessarily related to that is how they relate with younger women. Okay, but first it just gets into what to do and what not to do, and there are just a couple things. He says, don't be slanderous, and don't be slaves to much wine. Okay, that, and, and, and this shows up in a lot of places. That's, don't be a slave to anything, right? This isn't saying drinking wine, you know, having a cocktail is bad. or that's, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. But, but there is definitely a tendency to be enslaved to a lot of things, especially alcohol. Man, it's been a hard day. I need to kick off my shoes and just go, you know, have a good glass of wine. And that in itself is good, but when it's good glasses of wine, I can't sleep and then until I take my Tylenol PM or whatever it is that we kind of justify, I need this, I'm enslaved to this, to, you know, romance novel or whatever else it might be that's like, I need this to help me function, okay, as a woman in my stage of life. Similarly, again, older men, younger men, younger women, but in this case, it's older women, If you're enslaved to anything, then you're going to be hindered in helping God's people as a whole to thrive. And he says, don't be slanderous, all right? You can insert the word there, gossip. Man, and, you know, you hear it, right? You've heard the phrase, church ladies, you know, some of the scariest people in the world, soccer moms and church ladies. (laughs) But it's just this idea of, like, man, you know, you show up. I, I went to a church in the South for about five years. That's where I grew grew up and um, for about five years of my life and you saw that in church culture there was often this case of man like again intersected the church women are very power and are very powerful and are very very necessary and that can be used for good or not for good and I think a lot of times okay some of this stuff might sting a little bit a lot of times it's used not for good because there's insecurity and because a lot of times the church has done a really bad job of saying, we need you. That, that by your choices and, and whatever else in your life, you've maybe you're in a place where you don't feel like you're in the forefront as much anymore. And then the church does a bad job of saying, hey, we need you to lead from all kinds of different places. And I think a lot of times where this comes up is in the relationship between older women and younger women. Again, loose definition there. All right, but I see it here. Maybe at our church it looks like this. You're, you're now approaching 30 and maybe your, your, your lifestyle and life stage is changing and there's a tendency for all of us, but again, I see it specifically in this case, to maybe look and be like, man, that day is gone where I just waltzed in here and ate a bunch of donuts and, and my body doesn't change and I just sit here. And, and so a tendency is to look down and be like, you know, and just talk trash about the generation below or behind, and to feel insecure about it. And again, younger women, there can be a tendency to be like, I have nothing to learn. I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to drive a minivan. I'm not, you know, and just throw out all these things. And then you wake up and you're like, I'm here. How'd I get here? Well, all I know how to do is now, you know, kind of keep the other generation down. But intergenerational relationships, specifically with women, is so important here with all of us. But we're talking about women right now. So he has it related there and says, no, what what would it look like for you to be so secure in your identity as a follower of Jesus that you're able to invest in the generation after you? What would it look like to not look and be like, oh, these college kids who say like every other word and you come in here and, you know, shuffle in and they're just so entitled and they're this and then just throw all these things out and not see, I'm called to, to love them. And God has given me grace. And I have a lot to learn from them. And I have a lot to give. And so, and so Paul wants to affirm that. And he says, Titus, don't be a fool like the church it tends to be today. Don't overlook older women or younger women. But speak into them and tell them you are needed. You are absolutely needed for God's people to thrive as he has called them to be his healthy people in relationship to him. So older women, train the younger women. There's a Greek word there that specifically means like in in their decision making and in their wisdom and in in all things. Train them up to, to be discerning and to be wise. In all that they do, train them, in verse four, 
to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh-oh, here we go. All right. So there is a lot to be said here. And um, we're going to wade into it, okay? We're going to dive into what God's saying here. There is definitely a, a domestic nature here in what Paul is specifically written to older women and to younger women. And we need to wade into what's going on here, what's he saying here, because again, we could hear it and we could either dismiss it, or we could hear it and we could be hurt, or we could just read and be like, I don't even know what that's saying, I'm going to move on, or I'm going to come up with my own interpretation on what is being said here. So let's dive in there. Working at home, what does that mean? Does that mean, I got asked this last uh, two weeks ago, is it a sin for a woman to have a job outside the home, specifically if there are Children involved, is it a sin for a woman to have a job outside the home? And the first thing I'll say is, I, I don't know. It, it could be, and it could not be. Let me ask the question a little bit differently. Is it always a sin for a woman to have a job outside the home? Absolutely not. I can speak very clearly, no. From the scriptures, you see examples in Proverbs 31, you see the, 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 the Proverbs 31 woman who's referred to a lot of times and like multiple times it's referred to her work outside the home. And, but, or and, there is a proclivity or a posture or an orientation toward her home. That, that her job outside the home is to help her family and her home and her husband and her children thrive. There's not a bitterness or an identity that has to be shaped outside that says, that, that has a just, all right? Just is a bad word. It's the J word. Okay, I was told here as a young church, don't say we're just a church plant. Don't say we're just young. Don't say we're just this. Don't, whatever it is, don't say we're just. And a lot of times, well, this woman just works at home. And you get into all kinds of confusion. I was actually talking with my wife about this um, before. And I actually um, re reached out to many women that I respect and trust as, we, as I prepared for this sermon. Right? I read two weeks ago Kathy Keller. And then this week I, I, I read another article that I want to read in, in a moment. And I, and I contacted a friend who, who is a woman who leads and whose husband is a pastor. And she leads in many ways. And I talked to my wife, the woman I respect more than anyone and, and learn from and, and look to for, for discernment and guidance in many ways. And she talked about the mommy wars. You guys heard this term, the mommy wars. And it shows up in so many ways, specifically over this subject, specifically in the church. All right, let's get real here. Let's settle in. Look at me for a moment. How dangerous for this passage to get hijacked by, by sitting there and by throwing grenades at one another. By one group of women looking at another group of women, being like, man, if you work outside the home, you must have something to prove. You must hate your kids. You must hate your husband. You must just not even love anything or anyone but yourself and just be over here and, and think, because I'm called to be in this place, because I'm called to not have a job outside the home, I'm gonna just throw grenades. And then it goes both ways, right? On the flip side, a group of people will sit here and will throw grenades and will be like, man, if you, just, if you don't have a job outside the home, you must not be educated. You must just love ponytails and yoga pants and going to Starbucks and you know, going on walks and you don't do anything to contribute to society and you just throw out that just word again. And it's so wrong and so dangerous. That the main point of this whole passage, one of my friends is, Danae Pierre, um, who again wades through this, this tension really well. She leads at a high level. She started a nonprofit called Foster Care Initiative that has literally helped change the landscape of the um, foster care and adoption crisis in Arizona. Her husband is a, lead, a conservative lead pastor of a church plant that we partner with heavily, and she leads. Um, the Surge Network, which is, a, which is a leadership development curriculum that we as a church go through. Many of you have gone through it and will go through it. It's a, it's a year-long, incredibly theological, deep 
leadership development curriculum, and, and, and this woman, Danae Pierre, whose husband helped to start the Surge Network, she leads the whole thing. She's the director of the Surge Network, and, and, and her and I are co-students um, together in a seminary um, program together, and, and she wrote about this, and she said, look, we can so easily continue to do damage and continue to, to, to put wedges in here by missing the main point. The main point of this is older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and bond servants, people from every facet of society, are absolutely necessary for God's people to thrive. So the main point of this, in this section, is women, you are needed. You have such value and worth that if you are pushed to the side or if you choose to just fall into cultural stereotypes on either side of the spectrum, then that will tend to push you out and to make you absent and to hinder or to hamstring your contribution and your necessary involvement in the thriving of God's people. So guys, we can't afford to sit there and to, and to we, we want so badly, hear me, in Christianity, if you're new to this whole deal, maybe you're expecting this, we want so badly a checklist, right? That's like, just tell me what to do, tell me what not to do. Am I supposed to stay at home? then, um, okay, check, all right, I'll just do that. Am I supposed to work outside the home? Okay, well, check, I'll just do that. And, and we want this, and yet there is a tension here. Is it a sin to work out? Are you supposed to work outside the home? Well, I, I don't know. Yes, in some way. Are you supposed to get a paycheck from outside the home? I don't know. There's a lot. These are big things. We need the Holy Spirit that God has sent to give us wisdom and discernment. Again, from over here, we might ask, why are they working that job? Well, we need to ask that for everybody, right? If all of life is all for Jesus and God cares about every facet of life, we all need to ask, why am I working in this particular job? Is, do we need to also take into consideration some, some wisdom and some statistics that say that the first five years of a child's life are the most formative years in his or her life. Yes, we need to take that into consideration. We need to pray about that. We need to consider, is there a specific charge here that women specifically have a leadership role within their home, within the day in and day out functioning and oversight of the home? Yeah, that's what Paul is saying here specifically. So is it a sin to have a job outside the home? I don't know. It could be. What are your motives? What's your purpose? Is your idea? Identity secure in Jesus as a man or a woman? Are you making all of your decisions out of the fact that it's for God's glory and the other's good? So before I continue on, let me just read a quote here from an incredibly godly woman who asked a bunch of these questions and who wrote an article. Her name is Amy Bird, and she writes for a, um, a, a group of um, churches called the Gospel Coalition. And she wrote an article called Always a Woman, and here's what she said. It's a longer quote, okay, but I want us to kind of settle into this because we need to hear some of these things that she has to say, and it's much better just hearing it from her. She said this, we want to be careful to teach and model male pastoral and elder leadership in the church as well as headship in the home. Okay, in the sermon from two weeks ago, we, we hit on that. We walked through that stuff. And we would agree with her on that. And then she says, but... We do not want to foster a male culture since scripture is clear that the offices of pastor and elder are exclusive to particular men. Many churches play it safe by keeping an arm's length between women and all leadership roles. And that's not safe at all, guys, to be clear. Let me just kind of time out style. Um, that's not safe. All right, and we're not going to do that here as a church. We're not going to say, our, does, does the leadership structure that we just looked at two weeks ago say that, that God has called qualified and um, high character men to lead as elders and pastors in the church and then all men um, to lead as godly shepherds like Jesus in their homes? Do we believe that's what the Bible teaches? Yes. But is it playing it safe to be like, so... We're going to push women aside to the outskirts. We're going to pretend like there are no leadership roles that women can hold. And it's just easier to have a chauvinistic male culture. No. And then you see a lot of churches that, that overreact and have, a, have an overwhelmingly effeminate culture. Neither is helpful. And she continues. Also, many women feel like they do not fit into the box that's promoted as biblical womanhood. 
Single women feel left out because women's roles tend to focus heavily on being a wife and a mother. Women who are athletic, business-oriented, or who don't like crafts and casseroles may not feel like they are feminine enough according to their church's culture. And what if a woman wants to talk theology outside of the pink verses in Scripture? It's easy to generalize the differences between men and women and then to reduce our roles to stereotypes. We should be careful not to attach mere cultural ideas to womanhood. Whew. Amen. Thank you, Amy, for writing such an intentional and purposeful and helpful article. I would commend it to you. We'll have it on the website. We'll have it in the midweek email that we sent out. I would commend to you to read this whole article. And again, it's messy there. Some of the stuff that she wrote is like, whoa, would she, she clearly doesn't agree with the stance on male elders and pastors, which she does. But I love that she pushes in and she says, but... And she writes elsewhere, she says, if you have, if you just kind of push this ambiguous women's ministry to be a particular box that some women fit into and a bunch of women don't fit into, and then you have stuff that, that, that just, you know, is only fits there and you read the pink verses, I had never even heard that phrase until this, but I, I know what it means, you know, it's talking about Proverbs 31 and Psalm 139 and Titus 2 and these things that have been hijacked and people say these are pink verses and we don't talk high theology and, you know, w- women don't go through surge and women don't need to talk deep theology and she warns, she says, church, you need women to thrive. And to help in the, in the work of protecting sound doctrine and theology. Because she says a lot of churches have bad theology that comes in and, and destroys the church that, come in, that comes in through the back door of ambiguous women's ministry. Man, that is convicting and encouraging to us. Again, just in a nutshell, you're needed. Some other language is used here as it goes on that I, I have to dive into. Submissive to their own husbands. What does that mean? The S word, right? Submit. We, we recoil at that because a lot of times within the church and within our homes today, there's been abuse from, from this very passage or from passages like Ephesians chapter five where it says husbands are to lead your church and husbands are, are to lead your wives like Jesus leads the church laying his life down for her. So lead your wives. And somehow a lot of men, a lot of churches, a lot of us just miss over that part and go right to, wives, submit to your husbands as the church is called to submit to Jesus. And so we have this like submission is this oppressive kind of weighing down idea and we miss it. Submission is an incredibly powerful leadership filled word. Right? Does that sound weird to you? It doesn't sound like what? I don't get it. Well, a couple of uh, key figures in the Bible submit. Okay, again, the church is called to submit to Jesus. And he says that the church is the hope of the world, a gift. And Jesus himself submits, all right? You hear it coming out of his mouth so many times. Not my will, but your will. I submit to the Father I've come to to fulfill and to carry out the will of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit himself submits to God the Son and to God the Father. So submission is a powerful leadership-infused word that because of abuse and because of sin, we just miss. And then this other word that's used that we need to understand is called helper. That in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, right, we've talked a lot about this. God created. He created you. He created me. He created man, right? And God says, let us make man in our image. And that means mankind. Let us create man in our image to reflect us in all that, all that mankind does. And he doesn't just say, let me create Adam. Let me create one man and to reflect my image. Or let me create men to reflect me. Okay, the first place where God says something is not good is in Genesis chapter 2. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. So I will make him a helper fit for him. And we don't get how powerful that is. Helper, right? Like helper is your your four-year-old kid that's, you know, you're making dinner. And the kid comes in and says, hey, can I help you make dinner? And I'm like, yeah, Zoe. Some of you guys know my four-year-old. Yeah, Zoe, here. Here's a knife. Go and chop up the onion. 
and then bring it back here and you're helping me, right? We're doing this together. No, I would never say that because I hate onions. But, <laughs> but more specifically, because that, that's not our understanding of helper, right? I wouldn't give Zoe, if you know Zoe especially, I'm not going to turn my back on her when she has a knife. I give my little daughter Zoe a knife and say, chop up this onion and this tomato and you're truly helping me. We think of helper as like an optional potential contribution. And so when we hear that God created women to be a helper, we, we think that can't be good. But, but what it really means is the, the, the word helper, as we understand, is a bad translation. What it really means is the Hebrew word azer, E-Z-E-R, which means a necessary ally. It means that the mission that God gave to you and me, look at me, as a church, as the people of God, when God said, flourish as my people, bear my image in your work, as a people, in your family, in your homes, in your church, in, in your coming, in your going, in your rising up, in your laying down, Oh, men can't do it by themselves. When God said, let us make man in our image, it meant that we cannot do it by ourselves. That we, we aren't given one mission as men and then women are there to kind of, you know, fan us off and give us, you know, caterade and orange slices to get back in the game. No, it means that in the war, this is usually used in military context, that in the war of God's mission filling the earth and restoring what has been broken. Men cannot do it by themselves. So God said, let us make man in our image. And you know how man responded? You know what Adam did? Right when he saw woman, when God brought Eve down the aisle, Adam busted out in a poem, in a song, and he said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. At last, the image of God, the Imago Dei, can be lived out with my helper, my partner, with complementary differing roles, working together before sin entered into the picture, men and women, equal image bearers, equal worth, equal value before God. When God said, let us make man in our image, it meant the idea of the Trinity, pastor and author Tim Keller speaks of this, that the Trinity functions like a dance in a fluid where, where the Father is leading and sent the Son and the Son submits to the will of the Father and then, and then the Father glorifies the Son and then the Holy Spirit helps, that same word, helps or empowers the Son that Jesus couldn't do the miracles that he did without the empowerment of the Helper, the Azer of, of God the Holy Spirit empowering him to do what he came to do to die on the cross and to raise from the dead that the help of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing the value and worth and what it means to be a helper? And then he said, let us make man in our image so that in our relationships with one another, that male eldership and male pastorship and male leadership in the home is as the father and as the son leads, domineering to get all the responsibility, to get all the praise, to push women aside. There's nowhere in scripture that gives you that idea. But in differing and complementary roles, equally needing one another, like a perfect fluid dance relating to one another. Not a dance like what happened in sin is when sin entered into the world, Adam all of a sudden got, was like, I got to protect my own. I got to protect me. I'm, and my, my wife, my advocate is now my adversary. Come on. All right? And, 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 then, and, then, and then when God came and said, Adam, where are you? Because sin entered into male and women relationships. Sin broke into the dance that God created us to live and to flow and to function in together. And God first came to Adam. Who ate the fruit first? Eve. But who did God call to give an account? Adam. Just like in the church today. Where are you, men? Where are you? I've called you to lead, not domineering, not just looking out for yourself, but to give an account, to help equip, to help my people as a whole to flourish and their identity as my image bearers. And yet Adam said, oh, I don't know, it's not my fault. The woman that you gave me, he passed the buck, just like we tend to do today. Adam said, I don't know, I'm, I don't know, the woman you gave me. And the dance was broken. And too often today, it looks like, you know, oh, I'm going to 
push you aside. I'm going to do my own little thing here. And I'm going to take the dance floor ride. Everybody get away. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm doing. It's all about my dance. That's not who God created us to be. He called us to flourish together as his people. Older women and younger women, you are absolutely needed here. Not through some ambiguous women's ministry, but as equal image bearers of God with unique gifts and calling that are given to empower God's people to carry out his mission. And we're going to pick up the pace here in the next couple minutes because he keeps it pretty simple here for younger men. Likewise, verse 6, urge younger men to be self-controlled. And then he goes on, he says some other things because now he tells Timothy, but because Timothy is a younger man, so he kind of, you know, blends it there. You're a younger man. But what he does is say, tell younger men to be self-controlled. Right? There were like four verses for women, and there's one for younger men. Be self-controlled. All right? We need it simple. But guys, honestly, what would it look like, as we read earlier, for older men to be steadfast, unwavering, and to lead out of love? What would it look like for younger men to be self-controlled? Younger men, look at me. Is your life defined by being self-controlled? Are you enslaved to anything? Do you play video games? Do you go out and get drinks? Do you have habits that, 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 that kind of leave you where everyone else is contributing to you and to your life and your inability to be self-controlled? And you're still on mommy and daddy's, you know, uh, bankroll and they've, they're just giving you the card and you're just sitting back because you don't have self-control. What would it look like for marriages that right when it starts to get tough, right when kids come into the picture, or right when whatever kind of difficulty comes in, and so often men say, I'm out now. Now's my opportunity. Now I'm going to leave. Right when it got real, right when it got hard, I'm going to step aside and I'm going to be absent. What would it look like for God's people to flourish with young men whose lives were defined by giving of themselves for God's glory and the good of others? What would it look like for young men and older men to understand that for God's people to thrive together, we need intergenerational and intergender health? Mutual learning, mutual edification, mutual respect. And he goes on and he tells Timothy, and for you, you need to lead in this way. You need to to take the lead because Timothy's also a younger man. Show yourself in every way, in all respects, to be a model and example. Leaders, again, leaders are called. We talked about this two weeks ago. We're called to set the tone. Elders, You're called to set the tone. You don't just sit here and tell everyone else and then you just sit back and you're not self-controlled and you're all looking out for number one. You have your own agenda. No, you're pouring into the good of others. Young men, it's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get off the bench. It's time to stop depending on everybody else. It's time to understand that it's not all about you, but you are needed. You're needed to, to, to get in the game, to say, here am I, Lord, send me. To say, I have gifts and insights and unique responsibilities that I'm called to give. I need to learn from my elders. I need to love, as Timothy talks about, loving younger women as sisters and older women as mothers. Now, if you're enslaved to pornography, it, that's, not, that's not possible. If you're enslaved to v- video games, okay, video games aren't bad. Pornography is bad, okay? There's no good there. None at all. But, you know, video games or, you know, like I said earlier, with drinking wine, or go- those things aren't bad. But you guys get what I'm saying if you're enslaved to it? Guys, that we're at a day as a church that we've got to hear this stuff. The last group of people that he talks to are bond servants. And we might be like, there are no bond servants. There's no slaves here. And you're right. Slaves are bad. Slavery is bad. All right, slaves aren't bad. Slavery is bad, is evil. We abhor it. God abhors it. He doesn't commend it. When it shows up in scripture, God's not saying right here, he doesn't say bond servants, which is a great idea, by the way. It's good for economy. It's good for, you know, flourish. Have bond servants, have slaves, do it. And if you are, be submissive to your own masters and everything. And, and be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all good faith. 
All right, we do have modern day slavery today. I'm not even going to get into this, to politics and all this with, you know, payday loans. Guys, vote against this stuff. Payday loans, there is slavery going on right now in all kinds of ways. And specifically, why he writes about bondservants and slaves is because they were a necessary part of God's community to thrive. Just like us, guys, we talk about intergenerational, interracial, intercultural, intersocioeconomic diversity as a people of God. Look around. We're not there yet. We need to ask a lot of questions like, where are X demographic? Where are they today? And there's a lot of people from demographics that would fit into this, this idea. It's the outcast. It's the marginalized. It's the underrepresented of society. And why he writes this is he says, even in the most desperate and dire places, even the most adverse circumstances, this is what it looks like to still thrive in light of the good news of Jesus. That when your identity is secure in him, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you're called to contribute to the flourishing of God's people. And guys, as I close, and I told you we'd go go long, And I know I didn't ask them to turn the air off so it would be super hot in here this morning so we'd feel the weight of what we're going through. It is hot, by the way. Um, And we will send an email. But um, guys, lean in with me for a minute as we close. This is kind of a, this um, this is a necessary transition point for us as a church. Because we're growing, like I said, right? We've been at 200 people, and this is a ceiling that a lot of churches hit and are like, well, I don't know what to do here, right? I learned how to swim in the shallow end, and now I'm in the deep end, and I didn't, it's the same thing, but I didn't learn how to function here. I, I need to grow. And we're at that point, guys. We're, and, and, and this is so appropriate that we're walking through this because what we need to be, how do we grow? How do we continue to flourish as God's people? It's this, we hunker down and we cling to right doctrine. We cling to the good news of Jesus. We never get back, we never get away from the cross of Jesus in the empty tomb. We never get away from uh, the gospel shaping everything about us. We never get away from our identity and our need for Jesus being the same as when we had 19 people to where we are today and to where we'll be next year. We never get away from that stuff. And we cling to the fact that we always connect the dots to how we're living is related to what we believe about God. And this whole letter is saturated with the good news that God is true and trustworthy, that he is powerful, and that everything he's written is meant to shape us as his people. And now today, we're asked with the question, well, who are we as his people? Are we the young church? Are we the, are we the male-dominant culture church? Are we the only stay-at-home mom's church? Are we the homeschool church? Are we the, are we the only working women business-oriented church? Are we the athletic church? Are we, what, what, what's our church? And a lot of people ask me that, and my prayer is we would say, man, we're the kingdom church. We're the Jesus-centered church. And that's not just for us. That's the prayer of every pastor for every church out there, guys, that we would be shaped by the good news of Jesus. And in order for us to be that, We need intergenerational, intercultural, intersocioeconomic dependency. And the last thing he says here is he gives some words. And first there's a negative. He said, function this way, relate with one another. Older men, relate this way. Older women, relate this way. Younger women, younger men, relate this way. Because if you don't, you're going to be contributing to the charge of outsiders who look and say, it's all hypocrisy. I'm not cool. I'm cool with Jesus, but not the church. They can't get their own stuff together. He warns. He says, don't live that way. Protect your speech. Protect how you live. Protect how you relate with one another. Protect with how you love your your family. Protect how you lead. Protect your self-controlledness because they're looking. Because God's plan is that we would be a light to the world and that he made it so that the world outside is looking and saying, what does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Don't give them, there's a negative charge, don't give them an excuse not to believe in me because of how you function. But then there's also a really, really positive charge that says this. It's at the very end of verse 2, I mean verse 10. 
showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Guys, what would it look like for us as we pray, as we transition, as we respond, what would it look like for us on this momentous day, on this transitional point as a church, to live like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said a city that is set on a hill can't be hidden. He said when you light a lamp, you don't put it under a basket, but you put it on a table. And from there it gives light to all who are in the household. Whether we like it or not, guys, as the church, people are looking. We're giving light. We're shining a light. Will that light be that through our relationship with one another, flourishing as the intergenerational people of God, that people would look on and would say, I want to glorify God. I want to learn more about God. As Jesus says, so that seeing your light, they will glorify the Father who is in heaven. That's my prayer for us. That's the call for us. In order for us to flourish as God's people, we need one another to be based upon the good news of Jesus, sound doctrine that translates into sound living in all that we do and all that we are. Let's pray. Lord, um, man, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord, to, to bring us to where we are today. Um, thank you for, um, Lord, the hard verses, the hard passages. Lord, thank you for the need to get in and to roll our sleeves up and to, to be shaped by what you're saying. Lord, I pray that where there needs to be comfort, Lord, there would be comfort, Lord, for those of us who grew up with absent dads or abusive dads. Lord, for those of, up who, those of us who grew up in churches that didn't honor women well. Lord, that didn't look to women to lead well. Lord, to invest and to, and to be a necessary part of the flourishing of your people. Lord, we repent and confess that sin. Lord, we pray that you would, you would heal and, and, Lord, that you would bring hope. And Lord, we also pray that you would keep us and protect us from just falling into an overreaction and cultural stereotypes that, that get um, your beautiful and perfect design wrong. Lord, as we respond now corporately together as your people, would you lead us as you've called us to be, corporately, communally, flourishing together, dependent upon one another. In the name of Jesus, amen.